Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks so much for listening to The Collective Podcast. My name is Josiah, and I actually get to lead the ministry here with a bunch of other incredible people. Collective is the ministry for young adults for Grace Church Bath Campus. Uh, I hope you find this conversation helpful in your relationship with God. And I also want to invite you to check out Collective in person. We meet every Thursday night at 7 o'clock at Grace Church Bath Campus. And you can find all the info you need on our Instagram account, GCM underscore Collective. Once again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's good to see you all. Uh, my name is Josiah. We've never met before. Turn to the person next to you and just give them a high five and let them know how beautiful they look this morning. Even if they're a dude, you know, come on. Toxic masculinity, we're getting rid of that. <laughs> you can look good, it's all good. Uh, it, it, <laughs> sorry. If we've never met before, uh, my name is Josiah. I'm the young adults pastor here. So if you are uh, in this room and you are between the ages of 18 and 28 uh, and we've never met, that is a mistake. I would love to meet you uh, and hang out with you. And if you never checked out Collective, the young adult ministry meets in here every Thursday night. Uh, I'm there every week. Some of you are like, well, now I'm definitely not coming now that I know that this this loser's there, but I, I would love it if you checked it out. Um, it, it's a, you know, it, it's so cool to see. Um, it, I, I thought uh, when I first took this job, a lot of different people told me uh, that my own generation and younger weren't interested in the message of Jesus, and that has just proven to not be true. Uh, that people are coming to Christ left and right, and it, it's been one of the most amazing, incredible things. And so, if you're in that age bracket and you haven't been a part of that, you definitely need to. And if you're like a single pseudo creepy dude in your late 40s looking for love and you want to know if you can come to Collective 2 to find someone, uh, probably not. Uh, but we have, uh, you know, like eHarmony's doing great. You know, like there's some other options. Uh, for the, somebody's really offended by that. We have started off on the wrong foot with some of you. But uh, for the past uh, 10 weeks or so, we've been in a series called uh, Spiritual Questions That We All Ask, where we've been kind of walking through, uh, I, I guess, kind of the pillars of what followers of Jesus believe. So if you've been following Jesus for a really long time, I, I hope this series has been helpful in clearing up some questions. And then especially if you're investigating Jesus and you're just kind of here checking it out, uh, first of all, I'm just so glad you're here. If you weren't here, I wouldn't be here either. That's like, that's what makes me excited about this church. But, um, but hopefully this series has been helpful in, in, in you understand what Jesus is all about and, and what, what this message is all about. Um, but I have the privilege, the honor, I guess, of trying to figure out how to, to land these 10 weeks of conversations, which is daunting because all the guys that have come up up to this point are very smart and, you know, I'm here. So uh, we got to figure out how to make this happen. But the way I wanted to, to end this, I want to end this on a question um, that's been very personal to me and a question I, that I think will be really practical uh, to everybody in this room, no matter what season of life you're at and, and what your relationship with God looks like. Uh, here's the question I want to ask today is, how do I find a faith that lasts? How do I find a faith that lasts? Um, I'm sure we've all had seasons in our life where we're feeling on top of the world and we think that season's gonna last forever and that season just crashed one day and just went. We, we thought like, this is it, you know, I, I found it, I found the solution to my life and my mental health or whatever and we thought that was gonna last forever and, and then just one day it, it didn't. Um, my friends like to make fun of me 
uh, because by every metric, I had a, a very remarkably Christian upbringing, uh, which, which I'm thankful for. But I, I, so I went to Christian schools growing up. Um, I'm pretty sure one of them at the time, we had to like sign a statement of faith to even like attend the school as, as a child, like to protect us from the atheists or something. Uh, so I went to that. And then uh, a lot of my friends like growing up when I was a kid and teenager were, were from here. And so um, as I was growing up, most of the people around me had the kind of same kind of views that I did, had the same thoughts about Jesus that I did, loved, you know, and loved it, and, and we're all a part of it. But my relationship with Jesus didn't turn into anything until I was in high school. So I was a freshman in high school when I accepted Christ, actually at a Momentum Youth Conference, which we're going to do uh, tomorrow, which is great. Um, and, and so God got a hold of, of my life in, in a powerful, powerful way there. And he actually got a hold of uh, the lives of a lot of my friends. Uh, so I, I kind of had a you know crew of homies, and uh, God God drew us all to Himself, and so we we all started chasing after Jesus together. We had Bible studies together. We served in the church together. We went on missions trip to different places together. We told people about Jesus together, and those years of my life uh, were so formative, and and I will never forget what God did in that time. Um, but as I uh, look back on that, and you know the more real life kind of happens. Um, as I look back on that phase of life, two, two things have kind of settled in. One is uh, what God did at that time was very real. I think a lot of people think that like, you know, teenagers are just like emotional Olivia Rodrigo stuff. I don't know. But, uh, but that was very genuine. And, and the more real life happens and the more hardship and marriage and, li- and the whole deal, the more I look back on that, I'm like, no, that was real what God did. And he's continued that trajectory in my life. That's the first thing. The second thing that settled in though, it is, it is heartbreaking to me um, how many of the people around me at that time who I thought were going to follow Jesus forever are no longer walking with Jesus. Um, it is heartbreaking to me and, and actually really surprising to me how many people I, th- I thought we, you know, we were in this together for the long haul, like we're, you know, um, have, have turned away and, and walked away from Jesus altogether. Some of them gradually, so some of them, you know, it, college hit, and then that post-college depression where you don't know who you are anymore hit, and then, you know, relationships and family. Some of that that hit, and they just kind of walked away. Others, it was just a lot more vocal and a lot more angry and a lot more, you know, Twitter, you know, like, and, and, and that what was going on. But it turns out it's, it, that's not just my experience. So I, I don't know if you know this. Uh, they did some studies, and they, they found, did you know that two out of three people that grow up through the church, walk away from Jesus after their senior year in high school. Two out of three that grow up in the church walk away from Jesus after their senior year in high school. Um, and, uh, you know, and I love my job because I feel like I get to be a lot of times at the intersection of, of those people in that phase of life, getting to talk to them uh, after they're moving on from their families and everything. And when I, when I talk to a lot of those people, when I talk to a lot of my friends growing up, and I, and I talk to them about you know, why did you step away from Jesus? What, you know, what was this? Um, they might not use these exact words, but the story tends to go something like this. To so say, uh, you know, Josiah, when I hit the real world and when I saw what the world actually was and when I had real experiences in real life and went through, you know, the real world, um, I realized that maybe what I believed about God or the Bible or about Jesus or about Christianity or you fill in the blank, uh, wasn't what I thought it was. 
The church wasn't what I thought it was. The people around me weren't who I thought they were. And when they realized that, they went through a bit of a, I, I guess you could say deconstruction process of maybe the Bible isn't what I think it is. Maybe God isn't who I think he is. Maybe that person. And, and, and look, man, no judgment. No judgment whatsoever. I, uh, the, these guys are um, amazing people. I was the worst of the bunch. There, there's nothing like that. And, and I feel like I had to go through a bit of a deconstruction process myself um, in, in my own life. And so if you're in this room, I, I know that a lot of us in this room, that's exactly where you are. You're questioning. I, I don't know if this maps onto reality. I don't know that if this can make sense of the world. And if that's where you are, I, I, I think you'll find today's conversation um, helpful and uplifting, not, not discouraging or critical. Um, and if you're older, uh, you might be tempted to think, well, you know, that's the problem with the younger generation. I was on an airplane a couple days ago. We were coming back from LA. And there were these, uh, these three older ladies that were sitting behind us. And they were discussing on this four-hour-long plane ride while I was trying to watch Bullet Train in peace. And... Uh, <laughs> They were just going on and on. I, I kid you not, the whole conversation was about the problems with the younger generation. Like the younger generation, oh, they don't do this, and TikTok selling our information to China. You know, it's like the whole thing. And uh, so you might be tempted to think like, you know, this is the problem with the younger generation. But, but here's the thing. I, I really don't think this is a young people problem. I don't think this is a young people problem at all. I think this is a faith problem. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. So if you look at Jesus's life and his ministry, he attracted people of all generations and all cultures. Uh, they, they were attracted to his teachings. They loved his teachings. They loved his miracles. They loved being around him. And Jesus himself said to the crowds, he said, listen, guys, when, when the right hardship comes or the right distraction comes or the right career move or the right girl, or the right guy, or the right uh, doubt settles in your mind. When the right hardship comes, most of you are gonna walk away from me, and that's exactly what happened. And, and I think it would be very naive to assume that this room would be immune from the same prescription that Jesus gave everybody else. I, I, I don't think this is an age problem. I think this is a faith problem. So we have to ask the question, this becomes a really personal question really fast. What's the difference between the guys that walk away and the guys that follow Jesus for the long haul? What, what's the difference between the guys that leave Jesus and the guys that stay with him? And, and, and I thought for a long time, for a long time I would have said, well, the difference is that their faith isn't strong enough. That's what I said. The difference is that the, their faith isn't strong enough. And, and that's seriously what I thought for years. So when my friends would walk away from Jesus, I would be like, well, if they had just stronger faith. But the more I read Jesus' teachings, I really just don't think that's it. Jesus himself said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, God can move mountains through you. Jesus doesn't seem to have a problem with small faith. He's, he's really down to rock with that. Um, I don't think the problem was that their faith was too weak. I think their problem was that their faith was in the wrong thing. I don't think the problem was that their faith was too weak. I think their problem was that their faith was in the wrong thing. And my fear, my honest fear, is that for many of us in this room, our faith is currently in the wrong thing. And the danger is not that God will walk away from you. He never will. The danger is that when that thing lets you down, you will walk away from God. You'll blame him for it. And, and that's what I want to talk about today. So how do we find a faith that lasts? I, I think the first question we need to ask and un, unpack is, um, what is my faith actually in? 
We need to diagnose this a little bit. What is my faith actually in? And so to figure that out, uh, I wanna look at uh, a very famous teaching from Jesus. Uh, If you have uh, been around Grace at all for the past year or whatever, you probably know know this story. Uh, We've looked at it a couple times, and I wanna look at it again. This story lives rent-free in my head, and I hope it will live rent-free in yours too, Uh, because in this story, Jesus, Jesus, unpacks exactly how to find a faith that lasts and diagnoses what our faith is actually in. So you got a Bible, you got a phone, you got a Nintendo DS, Kindle Fire, you want to summon your carrier pigeon real quick, you want to call your mom because you left your books at home, whatever you got, uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, and you can just follow along on, on the screens right here. So this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and we performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it fell with a great crash. All right, let's break down this metaphor for a second. So Jesus gives us two foundations. What are they? Rock and sand. Thank you. You in the back. Uh, Rock and sand. The rock represents building your life on Jesus, right? So the the guy on the rock represents somebody who who has built their entire life around knowing Jesus, being close to Jesus, following Jesus. The sand represents building your life on anything else, anything other than that, right? And and the storm represents the hardships of life. And, and, And any type of thing that could knock you down. So whether that's a divorce or anxiety or someone screwing you over or abandoning you or a depression, or maybe you recognize the, the injustice of the world or the, the pain of the people around you. Maybe it's a doubt about something that you, you believe that's gotten in your head. Anything that could knock you down, that's what the storm is, storm is symbolizing here. The same storm happens to both houses. It's described exactly the same. One's on the rock, One's on the sand, but there's two very different outcomes. The house on the rock survives the storm, but the house on the sand falls to a great crash. Now, before we can understand what Jesus is trying to say here, uh, I think we need to first dispel uh, an overly simplistic interpretation of this parable. I think there's an overly simplistic interpretation that, quite honestly, I, I thought about it this way for years and years and years, and it, it really tripped me up. So I used to read this story and think, all right, those who build their house on the rock and stand strong through the storm, those are the Christians, the Christians. And I define Christian very specifically. Uh, here's, most of us tend to define Christian as uh, the people who believe the right things, the people who feel the right things, and the people who do the right things. So the house on the rock, the guy on the rock is people, the person that believed the right thing, he did the right thing, and he felt the right thing. So uh, they're the ones who believe in God, so they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and he, and he rose again. They're the ones who know the Bible, and they have correct uh, doctrine and, and theology. So they're not like those, name your favorite other church. They're not them, 
They're us, <laughs> right? So the ones with the correct, uh, they're, they're the ones who do spiritual things like, like prayer and worship. Maybe they're generous to the poor. Maybe they stand up for social justice. They're the people who feel close to God. So the people, like, you know, when the worship song comes on, they get emotional. That really stirs them in their soul. When they're reading the Bible, you know, that, re- that really gets to them. They're the ones who tell other people about Jesus. So they're going out into all the world telling tell people about who Jesus is. And they're the ones uh, who embrace, like, Christian morality. They follow the Bible, like uh, the Ten Commandments, if you will. So what God says, they, they do it, and that's kind of the end of the story. Um, but the ones who build their house on the sand, those guys... They're the non-Christians. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, they, they don't believe in God or they believe in the wrong kind of God. Uh, they have a lot of wrong views on sexuality, on the Bible, on who God is, on how to live your life, right? Uh, they don't embrace Christian morality or ethics, right? So they, they, they break all the rules. They don't follow the thing. You know, if, the, if they did what the Bible said, their life would be so much better, but they don't. They, they, they're always ignoring all these types of things. And so the idea is that if you're a Christian, when the storm comes, you're going to be fine. When, when, if you're a Christian, the way we define it, when the storm comes, the storm is just going to bounce right off of you, and there's going to be no problem whatsoever. But if you're not a Christian, when the storm comes, you're screwed. I'm sorry. Uh, your life will completely fall apart, and it will fall with a mighty crash. And so if you want to be protected from the storm, what you need to do is you need to be more Christian. You need to believe the right things. You need to do the right things. You need to feel the right things. And if you feel some wobbliness, you need to believe harder and do harder and feel harder. And so when my friends walked away from Jesus, or when people walked away from Jesus in my life, I was always trying to figure out how are they fake Christians, right? Somewhere in there, I guess they didn't believe the right thing. Somewhere in there, they must have had a secret that they never, like, confessed. Uh, Maybe, you know, they did the right thing and they feel the right thing, but they didn't feel that connection. You know, like, sometimes Christians talk like somebody on The Bachelor. Me and God, we just got that connection, right? And so, right? And so they didn't feel close to God in those types of ways. Somehow, they weren't really the real deal, and that's why they fell apart. And my guess is that if you grew around the Bible or are familiar with the story, that's probably how you read it too. Um, in this understanding, if you think about it this way, is why so many people walk away from Jesus when the storm comes and their life falls apart. That's, that's why. Because you feel lied to. You feel gypped. You feel cheated. Because you always thought that if you just believe the right things, you would have hope when life turns hopeless, but you don't. You were told that if you just kept studying Christian doctrine, you kept studying the Bible, you would have an answer that made sense to all life's greatest questions, but, but you don't. You were told that if you just live life this way, you would be happy. Your marriage would go perfect, your family would go perfect, your relationships would go perfect, you'd always feel secure, but you don't. And you were told that if you kept going to church and kept you know, being spiritual, you would have inner peace, but you feel a lot of tension right now. And you're really struggling with that. You thought that if you were a Christian, you'd be protected from the storm, but the storm still knocked you down just like everybody else. And so you feel like maybe my faith was a sham, maybe it was a fake, maybe it was a lie. Now, here's the problem with that whole interpretation of the, of the story. Although there are some elements of truth in there, there are some elements of truth in there, that can't be what Jesus is saying. It can't be what Jesus is saying. And, and here's how I know that can't be what Jesus is saying. That interpretation is totally ignoring everything that Jesus said like two sentences earlier. So, so look at this with me. Look at verse 21. This is like a few sentences before the rock and sand thing. Jesus says, 
Hey guys, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. Now, this is fascinating. This is absolutely fascinating. Because right here, Jesus describes someone that perfectly meets our definition of what a Christian is supposed to be. A perfect, to a T, meets our definition of what, what a Christian is supposed to be. So for starters, they're calling Jesus Lord. So this person believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This person believes that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the way to everlasting life. This person believes that. But not only does this person call Jesus Lord, they actually say, Lord, Lord. So I I don't know if you know anything about like ancient languages, the Greek language. Uh, They didn't have emojis. And so uh, back in the day, if you wanted to communicate like immense emotion, immense passion, you would double the name. So when you say Lord, Lord, that's normally with tears in your eyes. It's, it's an immense emotional expression. So this person, not only does he believe Jesus is God, he gets, he gets misty-eyed about it. He gets emotional. He feels, he feels close to God. He feels passionate about God. He feels, you know, he, he, you know, the worship thing is a big thing for him. This guy feels that. So not only does he feel the right things, but this person prophesies in the name of Jesus. I don't know if you know what that means. That means this person is telling people about Jesus all the time. This person is going out. He's doing what most followers of Jesus are too afraid to do. He tells the world about Jesus. He's always telling people and proclaiming the name of Jesus. Other people are hearing about him. And not only does he tell other people about Jesus, but this person performs many miracles in Jesus' name. This person uh, goes beyond what probably any of us in this room have ever gone beyond. This is a person that God has used in immense ways. God has used this person to lead other people to Jesus, God has used this person, the Holy Spirit has worked through this person so that people have experienced things that they never thought were possible. God has used this person in tremendous ways. This person is more spiritual and a better Christian than probably all of us in this room. Yet, when they stand face to face with Jesus Christ, the one they claim to have served, Jesus looks at them and says, I don't know you. The Greek word for know doesn't mean knowledge up here, it means a relationship. So Jesus isn't saying, I don't know who you are. Of course he does. Jesus is saying, you and I don't have a relationship. We're not close. We don't talk. You and I don't have a relationship. You're not built on the rock. So, so what's Jesus saying here? What's Jesus saying here? And I, I think he's saying four things. I think he's saying four things. I want to go through them. Uh, the first one, and, and maybe the, the big picture one is this. It is very possible to be very Christian, but not know Jesus at all. I'll say that again. It, it's very possible to be very Christian and not know Jesus at all. To have all the markers of someone who follows Jesus, but to still build your life entirely on sand. And, and that's why I think so many people walk away from Jesus who thought they were locked in. And my fear is, my genuine fear is that's many of us in this room today. And, and listen to me, if, if you know me at all, if you know our, our, the vibe of our church or anything like that, I'm never trying to get people like to doubt their relationship with God. Like most of the time I'm like, come on guys, God, God loves you. Let's go. Like it's, it's all good. Everything's good. I, that, I wouldn't be bringing this up unless Jesus brought it up. This seems to be something that, that really, really matters for Jesus for us to hear. And I don't think Jesus is trying to guilt trip at all. I think Jesus is trying to get us to think. 
What's the difference between the guy on the rock and the guy in the sand? Because the difference cannot be what they believe and it cannot be what they do and it cannot be what they feel and it cannot be what they produce. So what is the difference between the two? And here's what I think it is, ready? Here's what I think it is, second point. The guy on the rock had his faith in the rock, but the guy in the sand had faith in his house. The guy on the rock had faith in his rock, The guy in the sand had faith in his house. What on earth does that even mean? I'm getting there. We're getting there. Don't worry. Uh, Let's think about this metaphor for a second. Um, What does the house represent? Well, the house represents your life, every area of your life. It it represents what you believe, what you do, what you feel, what you produce. It it represents uh, your job, your relationships, your accomplishments, your, your marriage, your kids. You know, it represents your heart, your values, your instincts, your mind, your passion, your Instagram. I don't know. You know like every aspect of your life is what the house is representing. Um, that being said, what you believe, what you do, what you feel, what you think, that's all part of your house, right? It's all part of your house. So imagine this with me. Imagine Jesus comes up to the guy on the sand and he asks him a question. Uh, actually, I feel like we need a name for the guy on the sand. Ian, are you awake? I'm gonna use you as an example today. Is that, Ian, can you stand before the crowd? This is Ian Dieters. Get him it up for Ian. I need you, well, face that way. They all need to see your face. Okay, got that in your head? Got, camera, good? Okay, so imagine the guy on the sand His name is Ian, and he looks exactly like this Ian, but he's different, okay? And Jesus walks up to Ian, not you, Ian, don't worry, the guy in the sand. And uh, Jesus walks up to Ian, and he says, hey, Ian, uh, you have a beautiful house, man. You have a beautiful house. Basketball court in in the basement, you know, Ferrari in the garage. This Ian is loaded. Uh, (laughs) Swimming pool, the whole kind of deal. You have a very beautiful house. I just have one question. What is the foundation of this house? Like, what is holding this house up? When the storm comes, what's gonna keep this house standing? What's underneath this house? And Ian looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, I'll tell you, Lord, I believe all the right things. I believe all the right things. When I read the Bible, you know, every single verse, I believe exactly what it says. You know, I believe the right thing. I believe that you are Lord and that you are God. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're still describing your house. You're still describing, you know, the the way your house is constructed. I want to know not what your house is like. I want to know what's underneath the house. And Ian looks, uh, Ian looks at him and he says, you know, Lord, Lord, I I get emotional about you. You know, I I get emotional about you. I I cry during worship songs. I cry during the hit Christian TV series, The Chosen. You know, like I I get like emotional about like who you are. Uh, You know, Lord, I love people so well. I love people so well. I give money to people. I give time to people. I love my family so well. I tell other people about you. I even love the people that no one else will love. There's all these groups out here that the church has forgotten about, that, that the Christians have forgotten about, but I actually go out and, and I, I stand up for social justice. I spend time with the LGBTQ plus community. I love the people that other people have rejected. Jesus, I, I, I love people well. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 I, you're still describing the house. I wanna know what's underneath the house. And Ian just gives him a blank stare. When Jesus asks for the foundation of his house, All the guy on the sand can do is describe his house because his house has no foundation. Uh, The guy on the sand's faith is really important. The guy on the sand's faith is not in Jesus. Who's it in? Himself. 
And to be completely honest, I don't think the guy on the sand was like, I'm gonna build a house on the sand today. That seems wise. You know, I think the guy was so confident in his ability to construct a perfectly contained house that he didn't even think about where the foundation was. He's like, we can set this thing up anywhere. It's gonna be completely fine. The guy had faith not in Jesus, but in his own life, in his own ability to have house. And here's the deal. If you have faith in your own ability to have faith, it's completely circular. If you have faith in your own ability to have faith, it's completely circular. But here's what's really scary. You want the scary part? All right, here's the scary part. The house on the rock and the house on the sand, in theory, could look identical. The house on the rock and the house on the sand, in theory, could look identical. So, so I uh, teach this group for a collective young adult ministry uh, where we're often having uh, new, uh, new people, new followers of Jesus come in. Uh, and it's like 10, 15 people at a time, and then every couple of weeks we like, change out the group. And every time I leave this group, I, I ask everyone in the group to tell me the story of how God has changed their life. I just want to hear like the story of how God's changed their life. And, and the reason I always ask for their stories is because most of the time, or at least a good chunk of the time, the stories go something like this. Uh, someone might say, well, uh, Josiah, I, you know, I never went, really went to church growing up or anything. I never went to church. And I always struggled with uh, loneliness and insecurity and all these types of things. Um, but ever since I found Collective, I've never found a more loving, accepting group of people in my life. And so I love to be around here all the time. Okay, that's good. Ask the next guy. How, how has Jesus changed your life? Well, Josiah, uh, you know, I did go to church growing up. You know, I always went to church. But at my church, uh, everyone was really judgmental, and the messages uh, didn't really make any sense. And so ever since I started coming to Grace Church, everything makes sense now, and that's why I, I like to be here. Okay, that, that's great. Uh, go to the next guy. Uh, how has God changed your life? Well, uh, you know, I, I never really thought much about God growing up. But then I met this person. This person might be like a boyfriend, girlfriend, mentor, you know, friend, brother, whatever. And, but I met this person. And I really saw the love of God in that person. And so now I, I, I like being around here because I like being around them and I like feeling the love of God. Okay, that's great. Next person, how has God changed your life? Well, I used to always be really anxious. I really struggled with my anxiety. I really struggled getting depressed. But ever since I started coming around here, I, I don't feel so anxious anymore. I don't feel so depressed, and so that's why I like coming around here. Now, all of those things are, are really good, and all of those things are, are fairly normal uh, results of somebody that's experiencing Jesus. And I always want to be really, really careful about like analyzing someone's story, because people don't always have the right words to express what's going on, and I, I don't know anybody's heart. But let's just take those on face value for a second. Let's just take those at face value. Those stories at face value really, really stress me out. They really, really stress me out. Um, because those stories sound really familiar. Those stories sound a lot like a lot of people in my life that, that ended up walking away from Jesus. It really, really concerns me that somebody doesn't know how to describe their relationship with God without telling me what church they went to. It's, it really concerns me. It, it really concerns me that somebody doesn't know how to describe their relationship with God without describing how loving the people around them are. That's a part of the story, that's awesome. But, I don't know that it should be the premise. I'm worried that for so many of us, our foundation isn't Jesus, it's a church. Or, or it's the Christians around us, or it's our families, or it's social justice and the, the potential. If we all band together, we could. It, it, it's 
our understanding of Bible and theology. It's the fact that it makes sense and we have answers for things now. It's the feelings we get when we feel close to God. It's, it's how Jesus can help us with our mental health. It's how Jesus can help us with our marriage. All of those things are good, but all of those things are sand. And all of those things will let us down. And the danger is that when those things let us down, we'll blame it on Jesus and we'll walk away from him. But Jesus, you promised. We'll blame it on Jesus and we'll walk away from him. But the scariest part is it's almost impossible to tell the difference. It's almost impossible to tell the difference between the guy on the rock and the guy on the sand because their houses look identical. Maybe they both go to church. Maybe they both believe all the same things. Maybe they both serve Maybe they both, you know, lead their families the same kind of way. You both look the same, but here's the difference. The guy on the rock is doing those things to respond to Jesus. The guy on the sand is doing those things to replace him. The guy on the rock is doing those things to respond to Jesus. The guy on the sand is doing those things to replace him. So how can I tell the difference? You know, how, how can I as an individual, because I don't know anyone else's heart and no, no one be thinking about the person next to you, whatever. Just focus on yourself for a second, right? How can I know if I'm the guy on the rock or if I'm the guy on the sand? And actually, Jesus gives us the answer. You ready for it? This is Michael's secret stuff right here. Uh, G- Jesus says, that's a Space Jam reference. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Jesus gives us the answer, verse 24. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and he puts them into practice is like a wise man that builds his house on the rock. Now, at first glance, this actually seemed uh, contradictory to me. I had to think about this for a while. Uh, because just a few verses earlier, Jesus is saying, listen, your foundation can't be what you do. Like, even the guy on the sand, they might be doing the right things, but, like, it can't be what you do. And then the, a few verses later, Jesus is like, you know what the difference is? It's that they do what I say. And I'm like, all right, that feels like the opposite of what you just said. So what gives here? What gives here, Jesus? And remember, Jesus is not uh, negligent in his teaching. He's, he's brilliant. He's trying to get you to think. Here, here's, here's the difference. You ready for it? Where you run when the storm comes reveals your real foundation. Where you run when the storm comes reveals your foundation. In other words, I don't think the difference between the rock guy and the sand guy is that they do what Jesus says. I think in many ways it's when they do what Jesus says. Because a lot of people on the sand have no problem uh, hearing Jesus' words and doing what he says when there's no storm in their life. In fact, in many ways, most spiritual people actually will follow God kind of as a negotiation tool to make sure that God keeps the storm away from them, right? So, uh, God, I will pray to you if you make me feel less guilty. <laughs> I will go to the, Bi- I will read the Bible and go to church as long as I get something out of it. And Big Jeff is teaching. Why is Big Jeff not teaching right now? Right? I, I will do that. Uh, I- God, I will serve in your kingdom as long as your kingdom is doing the types of things that I think it should be doing. But when your kingdom isn't moving at the pace that I think it should be moving at, it's not focused on the people or the things that I think it should be focused on, I'm out of there. Uh, I will give your money to the poor. I will give my money to the poor as long as you supply supply me with money of my own, right? I will follow you if you protect me from the storm. The question and the difference between the rock guy and the sand guy is what happens when the storm comes. Because when the storm comes, the sand guy, the guy whose foundation was on something else, the guy who had a condition, he's out of there. But the guy on the rock, he keeps going. 
When you abandon Jesus, because the quality of your life is declining, your health, your stability, whatever, you might realize in that moment that maybe Jesus isn't your foundation, your health is. When you continually compromise sexually with someone, because you're afraid that if you don't, you'll lose them, and if you lose them, you can't be happy. You realize in that moment, God isn't the source of my love or my identity. That person is. When you're struggling financially, so you just double down on work. I don't have time, you know, for church stuff and for God stuff. I don't have time for that. You know, God wants me to look after and God wants me to provide. So I'm just going to double down on work, double down on work, double down on work. When you, when you're struggling, so you jump, you run to work. Well, where you run when the storm comes, that's your foundation. You realize in that moment, wait a second, God is not my provider. I am. When you stop listening to the Bible because it doesn't make sense to you anymore. You, you realize in that moment, maybe Jesus wasn't your foundation. Your foundation was your own understanding. And the only reason you have listened to Jesus up to this point isn't because you trust him, but because you've happened to agree with him up to this point. Uh, and here's a big one. Here's a big one. When you abandon Jesus because the people around you hurt you, your church, your, uh, your friends, your family, your mentors, your heroes, whatever it is. Guys, I mean this so gently. I mean this so gently because I know people have caused so much pain and so, much, so many people in this room that have been deeply, deeply wounded by someone and I'm not making excuses for that person. But if someone else has caused you to stop following Jesus, I don't know that your foundation was in Jesus. This place will hurt you. I love the people here. Well, we're human, man. The, the, the people that you look up to, they'll, they'll let you down. I love them. They're awesome, but they're human. And if you walk away from Jesus because of what someone else has done, I don't know that your foundation was in who Jesus Christ is. When the storm comes, I really want you to think about this. What do you turn to? Whose voice are you most likely to listen to? What do you double down on in your schedule, in your thought life? What do you turn to when the storm comes? It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. Whatever you turn to in the storm, that is your foundation. That is your faith. That is your God. And Jesus is trying to warn us from that. It could be a relationship. It could be a level of comfort. It could be a job. It could be a political party, a dream. It might be your own spirituality. But do you know what I think the most common foundation for most of us is like 98% of the time. What the deepest foundation for most of us is? I think it's me. I think it's you. It's what you do, what you can accomplish, what you can provide, what you can understand. And if you are built on the sand, here's the problem. If you're built on the sand, when Jesus tries to reach out to you to rescue you from the storm, you slap his hand away because you don't need him in your mind. I will figure it out. She will figure it out. They will have an answer for me. You slap his hand away. I don't need you, Jesus. I have my own house. 
And Jesus is warning us, warning us, warning us with a tear in his eye. He loves you so much. He's warning you. He's saying, you cannot survive the storm on your own. You cannot be your own savior. And if you turn me down, you will fall with a great crash. There's a story in the Bible uh, that I relate to very personally. <laughs> um, there's a story where one of Jesus's best friends, so he had, he had three very, very close friends, and one of them, uh, his name was Peter. He was one of his disciples and like his, his guy, you know? And uh, there's a story when Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, no matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets here, man, no matter what, you know, no matter where things turn, Jesus, I will follow you to the end. I will never abandon you. I will always stay by your side. Jesus, I am your guy. I will follow you till the end. And, and Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, I need to let you know something. Today, something really bad is going to happen. And when that really bad thing happens, you're going to abandon me. And Peter goes, no way, Jesus. No way, I will never abandon you. I will be by your side 24-7 through thick and thin. I'm your guy. And Jesus says, Peter, I'm telling you, something bad's gonna happen today. And when that bad thing happens, you're gonna abandon me. And sure enough, that very day, this like squadron of soldiers shows up to arrest Jesus. They pull up. And when that squad, uh, squad of soldiers pulls up, Jesus's disciples and his friends, they panic and they blitz. They get out of there as fast as possible. And Peter freaks out. So they're taking Jesus and they're taking him to be tried in order to be crucified. And Peter is just panicking. And so much so that a, a little servant girl comes up to Peter and says, uh, hey, aren't you one of Jesus's buddies? Like, aren't you one of his guys? And Peter just panics and says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know who that guy is. And he keeps panicking. He does it two more times. He says, I don't even know who that guy is. I don't even know who that guy is. And every time I hear that story, all I can ever think every time is, man, that is me. That is me. I'm Peter, man. I, I know a lot about the Bible. I, I got a degree in it. They tell me I'm a pastor. That's what they say anyways. Uh, but God has done so much in my life. God has met me in, in my lowest, darkest moments. He has pulled me up. He, he's, some of the worst phases of my life, God has found me. God has done things that, that I cannot explain, that, that I, I, I'm so thankful for. I, I cannot deny that Jesus has rescued me, that he's a part of my life, that he is real. And every once in a while, God gives me an opportunity to share my faith with someone or to love someone that no one else will love or to forgive somebody that twisted the knife or, or to step out in faith somehow. And, and when those moments come, I just panic. And I just want to run away. And I just want to run out of the fight. I will do so little for Jesus before I just want to freak out and get out of there. My threshold for like suffering for God is so low before I, I, I just freak out and I, and, I, and I want to get away. And I don't want to be like that. I love him with all of my heart. But I cave. And when I look at Jesus' love for me, 
You know, it, it takes so little for me to quit. When I look at Jesus' love for me, all I can ever think is, he just won't quit. He just kept going. So that night, the night that Jesus died, Jesus looked at his father and said, Father, I really don't want to do this. If there is any other way to rescue these people, if there's any other way to rescue my friends, the people I love, God, let's just do that plan instead. Like, will you show me if there's any other way? And God told Jesus, no, Jesus, this is the only way. And so Jesus just kept going. And then the soldiers pulled up and all of his friends leave. All of his friends that he's invested all of his energy into, all of his time, they just abandoned him in the moment of, his moment of need. And so he just kept going. And when Peter denied Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus saw it happen one of the times. They make eye contact. Jesus sees his best friend deny that he even knows who he is in the worst moment of his life. And Jesus just keeps going. And, and then he gets tried and the, the trial is completely politically unjust. All Jesus had to do is like bring up like basic law, human rights, and he's gonna get out of there. And he doesn't, he just keeps going. And then they put the crown of thorns into his head, big, thick thorns, you know? They kind of, they strip him of his clothes and they just mock him, mock him, mock him, mock him, mock him. Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was the son of God, but he just kept going. And then they, then they whipped him, man. 39 lashes. You know, they, they had these big old whips. They had chunks of metal and glass on them. So 39 times, the whip would go in it would latch onto his skin and rip up and rip up his skin every time. 39 times. He could have stopped at any point, but he just kept going. And they put the cross on his back and he hobbled trying to get it all the way over to where it needed to be. Could have stopped at any time and he kept going. Then they laid him down, nailed him each side, hung him up on the cross, and he started suffocating in his own blood for hours. That's how he died, suffocating in his own blood, because he had to pull yourself up. He knew that at any moment, all he had to do was say the word, and he could get down from the cross. But he just kept going. People mocked him, people abandoned him, and he just kept going, and then he died. Why did Jesus keep going? Why did Jesus never quit? Here's why. Every time Jesus thought about giving up, he thought about losing you, and so it kept going. Jesus left heaven to come to earth with your face on his mind. Jesus left heaven to come to earth on a rescue mission for you. And every time he thought about losing you, no matter what your mistakes are, no matter, every time he thought about losing you, he just kept going. That is how much God loves you. That is how much Jesus would do for you, enough to die. But listen to me, even after he died, he kept going. Because three days later, after he had gone down to the grave, three days later, he rose again. And he kept going. And, and, and why? why? What did he do? Why did he go through all that? Here's why. So guys like Peter, and guys like me, and guys like you, who are just gonna keep falling on our faces, failing time and time again, who can't keep it together, who are gonna keep panicking, who are gonna keep running from the fight, who are just gonna keep messing up so that guys like me and you could be a part of the family of God. You could be close to God once again. Listen to me. My faith cannot be in my love for Jesus. It can't be. 
I will fail. I will trip. I will fall. I will mess it up. I will not bet on myself. I cannot bet on myself. I can't. My faith is not in my love for Jesus. It's not in, I love you all. It's not in you. It's not in other people's love for Jesus. It's, it's not in the church. It's not in having right theology or the right job or family or relationship or bank account or mental health or intelligence. My faith is not in any of those things. The person who builds their house on the rock knows it doesn't matter what I build. It doesn't matter how strong it is. It doesn't matter how perfect it is compared to all the other houses. It, I am incapable of building a house that can stand I'm incapable of building anything that can survive the storm. I will never be enough. I will never pull it together. I will never clean myself up. I have to find a foundation that is stronger, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. My faith cannot be in my love for Jesus. My faith is in Jesus' love for me. It can't be in my love for Jesus. My faith is in Jesus' love for me, or I'm screwed. We're in big trouble. We might be in denial about it. We can convince ourselves that we're in a better place than we actually are, or we're in really big trouble, but he loves me, and he loves you so much. He really, 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 really loves you, so he kept going. He never quit. He never failed, and if you feel like a failure, listen, if you're sitting in this room and you feel like you're too far gone, you feel anxious trying to pull everything together, you feel like you're too messed up for God, this is good news for you. This is good news. Because it means Jesus can save you even if you can't save yourself. That's what that means. No one is too far from God. When I stand before the Father, and let's say somebody asks me, you know, why do you deserve to be here? I'll say, I don't deserve to be here. I don't know how I got here. I am here because Jesus kept going. And if you're here and you feel like you're too far from God, Jesus kept going for you. And he wants you. He really, really wants you. And he'll take your mess. And he'll take your, you know, messed up house. He'll take it. But he'll put it on the rock. So that you can trust that even when you fall and even when your house gets beat up and even when you go through a midlife crisis and even when you get depressed and even when you can't pull it together and even when you can't get over pornography and even, even when you can't, he still will. So the house will get beat up, but it's on the rock, so it's still standing. Well, the same exact house that's just as damaged will get washed away by the storm. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. Trusting Jesus doesn't mean that the storm won't come. Trusting Jesus means you can make it through any storm that does come, not because you're obedient, but because he kept going. He will never fail. Jesus Christ will never fail. The scripture says that when I am faithless, he is faithful. He has overcome. This is, I have a feeling as some of us in this room, you feel like a pounding in your heart. And that's the Holy Spirit of God telling you that you need to, for the first time, trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. I don't care if you grew up in church your whole life, I don't care if this is the first time here. You feel, I, I, God is calling you to himself so that he can be your protector so that he can be your security, he can be your stability. And I just encourage you, man, if that is you, today is the day, man. Today is the day. Jesus wants you, he loves you that much, so come to him. For the rest of us, if you want to find a faith that lasts, your faith has to be in one thing. One thing. And that is Jesus Christ crucified and raised to life. 
He will not let you down. Listen, some of us are anxious, man. You're anxious. Because you're, you're trying to pull everything together. Your family, you're trying to keep it together. Your work, you're trying, to, you're trying to get all, you walked in, you know, walking in this morning was really hard because you've got a lot of things going on. You're anxious because you're trying to keep your house contained. And Jesus is trying to say to you, listen, come to me, everyone who's weary and everyone who's burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you life. I will take care of you. And when you, when you obey me, it's not to earn me, it's to respond to me. Because even when you fail, you're still on the rock. I will keep you safe. He will never fail. So even in the storm, I beg you, trust what Jesus says and put his words into practice. Not because your obedience will save you, but because he will and you trust him. And it might not make sense and you might not understand it. Remember, Jesus was dead for three days before anyone knew what was up his sleeve. Think of how his followers would have thought. They thought God is dead. They thought God is God. And that's how a lot of us feel right now. He's not. He's not. He will come through. So will you trust him? Because a God that loves you enough to die for you is never going to let you go. And he's never going to forget about you. He's with you. And he loves you with all of his heart. Will you pray with me as the band comes out? Jesus, Jesus, I ask in your name, Lord, that if there is anyone in this room who has not built their house on you, Jesus, I ask in your name that you would show them that gently and lovingly, but Jesus, that you will bring them to you. Jesus, show each person in this room how much you're willing to do for us, that you will not let us go. God, show each person in this room, God, so that we can trust you, so that we can fall in love with you, so that we can stop trusting ourselves. God, when I am faithless, you are faithful. God, I pray that this morning that somebody will be rescued for the first time today. I really do ask that. For those of us who do follow you, Lord, I... I, will you just remind us that we're not earning our standing with you based on how good or bad we're doing at any particular moment. That our standing and our identity is locked the moment we received you. And so Jesus, I just pray that you would help us just relax a little bit, you know, and take a deep breath. Not because the world around us isn't as bad as we think it is, but because it's probably worse, but you're in control. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of the universe. And so God, I, I just remind us that when you see me as a follower of you, you don't see my mistakes anymore. You've washed them away on the cross. When you see me, you just see me, your kid. And that I don't deserve to be in your family, but for some reason I am. So God, would you be our foundation? Would you let us see how much you love us, that you've come to rescue us, and that you have won, you've overcome, and you will never fail. You will never stop. You just kept going, and you will keep going for the rest of eternity. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
Once again, seriously, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about, please don't hesitate at all to reach out. Uh, You can shoot a direct message to our Instagram, but I'd also love to give you my personal email. It's J-O-B-O-G-U-E at graceohio.org. And if you shoot an email to that, I'd love to talk with you about anything going on at, at all. Once again, we'd love to see you in person at Collective. We meet at 754 Gent Road, Fairlawn, Ohio at seven o'clock every Thursday night. And we'd hope to see you there.